I want to talk, uh, before we get into the scripture uh, today, I want to talk about questions for just a minute with us. Asking good questions and being asked good questions are things that will shape our souls if we let them. Asking good questions and being asked good questions. Uh, in, in the midst of having more nights with less outside-of-the-house activities, it's been easy for Bethany and I to get into the habit of um, simply uh, simply watching you know, a show on Amazon Prime or something like that. But lately, we've tried to commit more time to just sitting on the couch and having conversations. And so, so we're trying to get rid of the default of just doing the one thing and instead just have, have conversations. And we've been able to have these long, these long, meaningful talks about all sorts of things lately. Uh, but sometimes one of the best things that happens is that we learn to ask each other really good questions about what's going on, how we're experiencing something, about thinking in a new way about something else. And, uh, and sometimes I don't like it when Bethany asks me good questions. Uh, because answering honestly, it reveals something in me often that is still in need of transformation. In, in Hebrew culture at the time of Jesus, the way people learned was by asking questions. Rabbis would ask their disciples a question and their disciples would listen and respond with another question and they would go back and forth because question asking was the way that you kept learning the way you kept growing, the way that you discovered new layers. So it's no surprise that throughout the scriptures and specifically throughout the gospels, you hear a, a question asking Christ over and over again. And it's, it's simply a part of who Jesus was. And so what we're going to do for the coming weeks is we're going to uh, lean into the gospels and each week we are going to ask some of the questions that Jesus asked. We're going to look at the stories, and we're going to open ourselves up to those questions. Um, and this week uh, begins with, with a doozy. Uh, it's a healing story, and every healing story in the scripture has kind of a double meaning. So, so on one level, there's the person itself that Jesus is interacting with. And that person and Jesus, they have their own moment, and it's powerful in that person's life. But then there's a whole nother element, and that second element is why Jesus heals that person at that time. Because we know that Jesus went through towns and villages and not everyone was healed. We know that Jesus was trying to communicate something more than just an individual healing with each of the stories that the disciples watched. So the second question we ask is, what is Jesus trying to tell us about God, about the character of God, about the kingdom of God, or about humans? in each of his interactions with people. So let's, uh, let's check out this, uh, this story. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of a fun one. It's in uh, John chapter 5. And here's where we get. Sometime, sometime later, we're starting in verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was high, so no matter if you were north or south, you always went up to Jerusalem on the hill. Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is in Aramaic called Bethesda, and which was surrounded by five covered colonnades. Okay, so before we even get into the story, that word Bethesda is fascinating because we are told specifically that in Aramaic it's called Bethesda. And I don't want to geek out too much because I know that sometimes misses the point. But in Hebrew, the word Bethesda means house of mercy or house of grace. But in Aramaic, that same word means, can mean shameful or disgraceful. You, you, see, you see the difference? House of grace is so similar to the same word that means disgraceful 
And so, so right away, the people who are reading this story, they have two, I, two images in their mind. They have a shameful and a disgraceful image for what this pool is, and they have the idea that it's a, a, a place of grace and mercy. Okay? And so anyways, um, so, so we, we have this pool, the Bethesda pool, fed by the, um, by the probably the Gihon spring out of the Temple Mount. And anyways, here we are told in verse 3, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Okay? And we're told later in a, in a verse that was added later um, that, that the reason that they lied there, and so some, some uh, Bible manuscripts don't have this. They usually have it in a footnote. But the reason that they would lie there was because an angel was said to have come from time to time and stir the waters. And when the waters were stirred, the first person into the water gets healed. And so people would come from far and wide and they would wait there for that moment. Okay? So in, in uh, verse 5, there was one who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Okay, I'm, I'm 37 years old right now. So just keep that in mind. Think about your age. 38 years, four decades almost, of being paralyzed, of being unable to walk, of being an invalid. So that's the story. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition, for a long time. So, so Jesus is looking over. He's looking at everybody. And he's, he's, he's either asking questions about people or he's just quietly contemplating what he's seeing. And he sees this gentleman lying on a, on a mat. And he's, he's older because life spans were pretty short at that time. So on some level, he's, he's older because it's been at least 40 years, but maybe it's been 60 because maybe he got sick when he was 20. We don't know. And he sees him. And when he saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, we just need to pause and kind of acknowledge how embarrassing and inappropriate a question like that is. Jesus is at a place where sick and, and, uh, and, and um, people with chronic sicknesses, chronic disability, they go to because the pool has healing powers. And he finds out that this guy's been this way for four decades and he's sitting near the edge of the pool. And he walks up to the guy and he says, uh, do you want to get well? That is the most insensitive question, maybe in all of the scriptures that we have, or at least close to it. Jesus asked a lot of questions that on, on, uh, on surface level seem pretty intense, pretty insensitive. Do you want to get well? What a horrible thing to say. What an obvious question to ask, right? Why, why, why does Jesus ask such an offensively obvious question? It's like adding salt to the wounds. You can almost just imagine the disciples half wondering what's going to happen because they know what Jesus has been doing, but in the other half say, Jesus, why on earth would you have to ask that question? If you're going to heal the guy, why ask that question? Do you want to get well? Well, maybe, maybe stating the obvious matters sometimes to God. And, uh, and maybe it's not actually that obvious. Because Jesus asks this man, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. 
What just happened? Did you catch that? Jesus says, do you want to get well? It's a pretty straightforward question. Yes or no, right? Do you want to get well? And, and, and the man re- replies and says, well, here's the problem. I have nobody to help me when the time comes. And, and so, I, so I'm still here. Do you notice that the, the man doesn't answer the question at all? Jesus asks him, do you want to be well? And the man's response is, here's why I can't. Here's why I'm not well. Can you just imagine Jesus standing there and thinking, but that's not the question I asked you. I didn't say, why aren't you well? I said, do you want to get well? And the man can only see why he's sick. This is a profound little glimpse into the heart of God and into the heart of human beings. The question, do you want to be healed, is met with, here's why I am continually sick. This man's imagination is no longer there. The hurt is so deep, the the, uh, experiences that he's had are, are so pervasive that the question is not met with any desire. That, that word, do you want, that word want, uh, it can mean two things. Number one, it can mean, are you determined to get well? That ethileo is the word. Are you determined to get well? But on the other side, there's another connotation of that exact same word that says, does it delight you to imagine being well? So either, what we're faced with is the question that this man says either, I'm not determined to do it, or I can't even imagine the delight of being well. All I can do is explain the reasons. I think this question is valuable in the scriptures. I, 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 I can't get well because look, I'm, look at all I've been through. I'm too hurt. Um, look at the, the way that the world is. I'm too angry. Look at the, the things that people have done and, and said to me, I'm, I'm, I'm too wounded. Look at my skill set. I'm just not capable of that. Why might you choose not to answer that question, do you want to get well? See, it's interesting, after 38 years, you can imagine that this man, hurting so much, even in the midst of his pain, has probably constructed an identity around that wound. It has become who he is, and he cannot even separate himself from the possibility of imagining a different way. Not in that moment. Not in the moment when he says, do you want to get well? Here's why I just will never get well. It's a losing battle. Restating why we can't get better is often easier than taking the journey toward wholeness with Christ. Restating why we can't get better, why we're stuck in our cycles, why we're constantly anxious or angry is is often easier And I say this gently. I say this really, really gently, but it's true. It's not that when we walk through our pain, it's somehow easy or it's good or anything like that. But sometimes we form an identity around it that makes us impossible to be imaginers of what God might do if we were healed, if we were restored, if our perspective was changed, if we stepped into the kingdom just a little bit more. 
And so, so what we end up doing is, is we end up thinking about our lives and, and we think backwards with all the reasons that we aren't well. We immediately explain why things are the way that they are instead of engaging with what could be. So the question is, is that true of you? Is there any truth in some of the pain and, and despair and frustration that we experience? Maybe it's the past, maybe it's the present reality of all of this, all of this, this weight of, of COVID and, and our, our kind of national environment and everything else like that, that makes us say, no, I can't be well because of X, Y, and Z out there, or because of this moment, I'm just wounded now. And, and we look backwards instead of seeing the question of Jesus right before us as a starting point. American poet Carl Sandburg uh, once, once wrote, There is an eagle in me that wants to soar, and there is a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. Isn't that true? There, there's this part of us that wants to, to go out and be a change agent and, it, and, and believe that we can be transformed, but there's also this part that's just, oh, it's easier. It's easier to kind of wallow a little bit. And in a season of isolation, I think wallowing can become incredibly easy. I think that hippopotamus gets heavier and heavier in us, and it starts to win the battle too often. So we end up using our pain as identity descriptors. We use our frustrations or our anger, and we, we don't let ourselves be open to true growth. We don't let ourselves be open to true movement, because, well, this is just the way it is, and if I want to be well or not is irrelevant. So, so what we end up doing is, is we kind of end up laying on our mat, okay? And here's, here's the idea behind that. So, so when we lay on our mat, let's make a mat. So when we lay on our mat, um, the things that are going to characterize our faith, the things that are going to characterize our attitudes are, are things like uh, blame, excuses, um, things like self-loathing often become a part of this. Um, Often there's an element of defeatism within our spirits. What else? There's, there's bitterness that grows in us. And there's this emotional paralysis. I don't know if I spelled that one right. But, but we have these things when, when we lay, when we lay on our mat, and stay on it. We give in to blame. We give in to excuses. We give in to self-loathing. We give in to this defeatist attitude. We give in to, to um, bitterness. We become paralyzed and unable to even consider movement. So let's continue on in the story because we're not even going to go through the whole story, but we're going to go through the next sentence. So he gives this reason of why he just can't get well and he doesn't answer the question of do you want to get well. Then Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. 
Notice he doesn't say you're healed. He says, get up. Uh, he, he says, he says, move. The healing has to take place in cooperation with the choice to move. You see that? Get up, he says. He invites the man to do something. Jesus has the healing power, but the man has the power to actually start to push himself toward his feet now that he has access to Jesus's healing. And, and so, but check this out. The word get up, it, it literally means rise or, or be risen. You see where we're going here? It means resurrect. It's the same word that the Gospels use to talk about Jesus rising from the dead, to talk about the resurrection life. He's not just restoring this guy, he's resurrecting him. He's not just uh, inviting him into what used to be, but he's inviting him into a new life, not just fixing the old. It's different, and it's important that we notice that. Um, when, When Jesus rose, what do we know about his resurrected body? I would be asking you this in person if we were in person and I'd be hearing you respond. But I'm assuming that you're speaking out loud and you're getting everything right. And what you're saying is, we know that his resurrected body still held the wounds. But instead of being the ongoing pain, they were a reminder of the restoration. Right? Jesus still had wounds remained, but his body was forever changed. They were still a part of his story. In fact, they were an important part of his witness, but they gave witness to the healing, the miraculous work of God. So Jesus tells this man, be resurrected. Get up off your mat and and don't just get up, but walk. And don't just walk, but pick up your mat and carry it with you. Don't lay on it, but you don't need to leave it behind either. It's a sign now of what God has done. A part of of the journey of of getting well means not being afraid to acknowledge the woundedness that we have and are walking with and are walking through. Our own struggles, our own trauma. We don't have to leave it behind and act like it didn't exist. We take it with us. We understand that God still brings the ability to walk even in the midst of all of this. And, and so, so Jesus calls us forward. And then a life of carrying our mat looks so very different than what laying on our mat looks like. So if laying on our mat is full of these, these elements, then uh, if our mat is rolled up, that looks like a good rolled up mat, right? So if our mat is rolled up, uh, our, our faith to carry our mat looks like ownership rather than blame, right? It looks, uh, it it looks like faith. It looks like hope. It it looks like self-worth. It looks like movement. And it does not look like shame. These are the elements of the good news. The call of Jesus uh, to get up. I think it's really great that the guy doesn't actually answer ever. So we're often, we're, we're left with our own response to this question. Do we desire to be well? 
And it's really interesting that Jesus, before actually hearing the guy's response of yes or no, he only hears the reasons, but he says, well, listen, if I'm here and I'm in your life, here's what you're going to hear. Get up and walk. You're capable of it. This is what it means to encounter me, friend. <laughs> it means that you will be have access to the, the Spirit of God, which can bring restoration and redemption and, and, and beauty and goodness. But it's the challenge. It's incredible hope and it's incredible challenge all at the same time. This is life with Jesus. The grace of healing, of restoration at all times, and the challenge of saying, come, get moving, pick up your mat and walk. We have a journey to make. We have work to do together. The call of Jesus is something that we have to hear in a question like this. We all need this. Uh, this isn't a message for the few. <laughs> this is a message for the masses, this, this story. Do you want to rise up? Do you want to resurrect? Because if so, then Jesus is here to make it happen, and he's telling you and imploring you, come. Take the sickness that might be defining your identity right now, that all of your weight is resting on, whatever that is, and start to get up and move because Jesus is capable. And so are you. We can love in the midst of being hurt. We can forgive wounds. We can see people as human beings that are complex and bear the image of God, even if we don't align with everything. We can describe how we feel and what our passion is and how the kingdom of God looks, even when others have no interest in that and we don't hate them for it. Because we have no enemies of flesh and blood. We have only compassion for those who walk the earth. Kids, if you've chosen to bandage one of your stuffed animals, I want you, and I'll invite everybody else just for a moment, if you're in speaker mode, to go ahead and choose gallery mode. Just go ahead and, and hold up your stuffed animal, and, uh, and I'll just invite you to kind of um, free them. <laughs> I, here we go. Yes. So I invite you to create some wellness and, uh, and, and I don't know, um, show them standing, show them being well, maybe dancing. Maybe you want to roll up their mat. But I invite you, free your, free your stuffed animals and let this be a glimpse and a reminder. This is more difficult than I thought. Gives me a lot more respect for Jesus. There we go. Show the beauty and the freedom. <laughs> and let it be a, a living reminder just for a few seconds to everybody else of what God's capable of and the joy that comes when we hear the words, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Maybe you rolled up the mat that your stuffed animal was lying on. I don't know. So as we bring this time uh, to a close, I just want to, to offer a, a final thought. It's really fascinating that Jesus seeks out this guy. It's not a story of someone coming to Jesus. It's a story of Jesus going to someone and saying, here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity. What are you going to do with it? What will you do with this chance to be well to have access to the healer right in front of you. 
I think Jesus approaches us in the same way, and I don't think this is a one-time deal. I think it's a daily, maybe hourly, maybe minute-by-minute type of an invitation. Do you want to get well? What are you willing to do about it? Are you willing to pursue Jesus with humility? Are you willing to hold things openly? Are you willing to keep learning? Are you willing to love when it's hard? Are you willing to ask for forgiveness? Do you want to be well? I can make you well, Jesus says, but you're going to have to stop laying on the mat. We need Jesus for this, by the way, uh, to be constantly reminded that we're not defined by our shame um, and our wounds and not defined by our sorrow and our hurt, but we are defined by the fact that we are loved in spite of all of it. The, the church, the big C church, God's church, and Life Path as a part of it, is a holy community that is called to be living examples of mat-carrying people. Living examples of mat-carrying people who can glance around at peace at each other and see the mats that each of us carry without shame. Because we know that we all are mat-carrying people and sometimes mat-laying people, but also that that's not all there is to us. Our mats are a part of our story, but we are far more importantly, they are a part of the story of redemption that God is unfolding in our lives. Helping us love the world and extend God's kingdom of grace and love and compassion and rescue. So I invite you to have faith, to get up and walk in some new ways, whatever that looks like. We can't define that for you. I can't define that for you. That's between you and Jesus. And I invite you to have the courage to go ahead and carry your mat with you. Don't just lie there. This is good news. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray in uh, the spirit of the one who invites us to be well and asks us to be honest. And then we'll uh, give you five minutes in groups um, to share anything that's stirred. Just any, anything that God's maybe encouraging you or, uh, or um, inspiring you toward as you hear this story from the scriptures. Jesus, it's such an honest question and it feels so simple. Do you want to be well? And I, I pray that you would help us. Uh, if there are areas of, of blame, if there are areas even for real, genuine wounds, but if we stick with uh, the reasons for them instead of the hope that you offer, Lord, I, I pray that you help direct our eyes forward. Help us to, to be really honest before you to experience the love and grace that you seem to offer every single one of these people who are hurting that you encounter in the scriptures. Uh, walk with us, Lord. We thank you that there is never a time where it's been too many years or too long uh, for us to hear the words and the healing power of being made well. We ask you to help us on this journey in the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.